Hello, hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Super Subs. Andy, I'm exhausted. How are you? I am. I am exhausted. I am in the biggest sad uh, from yesterday. Uh, it's been an emotionally draining week for soccer weekend for soccer fans all across. Uh, whether you were your teams were in the ascendancy and won, or your teams lost, I think it's just all over the place. Oh man. <laughs> that, that sums it up perfectly oh man <laughs> yep just man man oh man what what a weekend lots of lots of madness lots of pain uh from this weekend that's why we watch soccer for some reason because we both are masochists and yeah. we have glimmers of hope so those things kind of keep us going i guess Definitely, definitely. I would. Uh, I want to start out just huge shout out to our international listeners. We found out this week we have some some people who listen to our podcast. Uh, so everyone listening in Germany, Norway, and the Dominican Republic, thank you, thank you so much for listening to our dysfunctional show that we have once a week. And if you guys want, or anyone from the U.S., tweet at us, hit us up on Instagram, let us know what your thoughts are, and we'd love to to chat with you on those platforms. Mm-hmm. And I love the fact you called us dysfunctional. I think that's the most <laughs> accurate way to describe this podcast, especially last last episode's podcast. So hopefully it could be a little bit less dysfunctional, but I'm not going to make any promises. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. We're both pretty tired emotionally, mentally, physically, at least I am. So we'll see. Mm-hmm. We'll see how it goes. Andy, we had madness. The World Cup gave us so much madness, and we had lots of pain. Yep. Where do you like, where do you madness, want to start? Oh man, honestly, I, I think we should start with the madness, not only because of some upsets, but just because of the maddening things that we saw happening uh this weekend. Um both on really both on and off the field. Uh there were so many storylines that were happening. So, we can get in right into uh, the knockout stages of how a couple teams were able to continue their magical run. Yeah, I mean, Croatia and and Morocco, honestly, two teams that play very similar similar styles of football. Ben, don't break, kind of sit behind the mm-hmm. ball, really, really capitalize on the chances when you get them. I mean, Andy, in 117 minutes of play, not counting stoppage time, Croatia had one shot on goal, and that was the one that they mm-hmm. scored to send it to PKs. Like, yeah, yeah, and they didn't look super convincing in their game against Brazil up until then. It didn't look like they were trying to do too much or go for the win. They were just kind of happy to sit sit back for a bit. Um, but yeah, what were what were your thoughts on that game? Since Brazil were heavy favorites, they were my favorite. I had them going going through. So yeah, what? How did you make sense of what happened in that game? Well, I mean, I think it was really quintessential Croatia, honestly, Andy. It's it's how they've played all tournament. It's how they played in 2018. And I think Brazil thought they won after Neymar had that wonder goal. Honestly, that was one mm-hmm. of the goals of the tournament for sure. And mm-hmm. I think all the fans felt it. All the players felt it. And I think Brazil just started to lose some of their momentum after that goal going into the second period of extra time. And they just kind of switched off. I mean, I don't know mm-hmm. what what you saw, but that that's what I saw. No, I I completely agreed. I think we saw a little bit of that Brazil from 2010, where they were in when they were in Brazil against Germany, where they're getting a little bit more naive. They're kind of 
buying into the hype of their own like predestination to win the World Cup. Uh, because on on the goal that Croatia scored, Croatia didn't cut them apart. Croatia didn't do anything super spectacular to right. get the goal. It was just that the midfield uh, from Brazil had decided they wanted to join in the attack and lost, or the attackers in front of Brazil lost the ball. Croatia was able to ping a ball over the midfield, and the midfield wasn't able to track back in time because they were so far forward. So they really shot themselves in in the foot there uh, to have yeah. it happen. Yeah, and and just to make a quick comment about Croatia, if you don't count the Canada game where Croatia won 4-1, to one, Croatia has scored one goal in three of the games and zero goals in two, two of the games. So when I was saying that quintessential Croatia, they're totally a sit behind the ball and just try to get one chance to score and hold on or win in penalty mm. kicks because that's <laughs> – they're amazing at it. Yeah. Yeah. What's, what's so interesting about Croatia is that they don't look phased. Like when they're defending, they aren't looking like they're frantically defending. It just looks like, Oh, there's a cross that's coming in. Someone is just in the right spot at the right time and just heads it the other way. Or someone's yeah. trying to make a pass. Oh, I can just step aside and make that interception. Uh, no one is frantically like, coming out with like their legs trying to make last ditch tackles on, on any of these, it looks like. So what they're able to do and how cautiously confident they're able to do all this is very, very interesting for a country of only 4 million people. They have some really good, really good team spirit, I think in their midfield. Uh, But yeah, in their attack, they're not, they're not flashy fancy, but Mm -mm. they get the job done. All the time. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, Croatia is just, it's, they're one of those teams that they've come from behind from one goal, two goals down so many times, dating back even to their magical 2018 run. Just mm-hmm. like, I agree, couldn't agree with you more. Just the, they're not phased. Uh, they give up mm-hmm. a goal and they're just like, you know, we've been here before. We just can't give up mm-hmm. a second one. And that's been their MO this tournament when they've gone down a goal like against Brazil. They come back, get a goal, and then they beat them in PKs. Yeah. yeah, like they didn't really change their plan at all once they went down a goal, even though they went down in the 70th minute. Um, they were able to find, they knew they f- were able to find a time. So however their manager is setting them up for success, he's been really been doing a great job in getting them into the right mindset because they're kind of, I would say, the mentally strongest team to have to face and I could see why a lot of teams would not want to face Croatia because of this kind of resolute uh, mindset that they can, they both have in their minds and what they're able, how they're able to translate that uh, onto the pitch. Yeah. And honestly, it's the announcer said it best during the game. It's like Brazil in their closer games have struggled to get that, that second convincing goal. Right. And these, that showed against Croatia. And I think, and we'll get to the Argentina-Croatia matchup, but that's something that Argentina has done very well in both of their mm-hmm. games is getting that second goal. So we'll have to see mm-hmm. how that shakes out. But yes, Andy, definitely, yeah, a- absolutely. Morocco, talking Croatia-Morocco here real quick. I saw a funny tweet mm-hmm. someone posted was a, a picture of the center of the pitch at a kickoff, and it was all mm-hmm. eleven players sitting on the ground, and it was captioned. Morocco Amazing. and Croatia in the World Cup final waiting for PKs. 
Oh, that's funny. That's funny. That's their big heat map. That's really, that's amazing. Cause yeah, like that's, that's how they're able to go on, except, well, at least Morocco to, they had to beat Spain to get into here, uh, which, uh, we're going to get more into just the, the quarterfinals that Morocco was able to, uh, also take over Portugal, take over Portugal. So Morocco yeah. trying to, you know, bring back history when the Moors invaded, um, the Iberian <laughs> Peninsula. Um, yeah. they're kind of doing it all over again. Holy cow. Waited a thousand years or so for that. Yeah. I mean, can we, yeah. Can we talk about that Spain game for a second? I mean, if you everything going into the world cup was Spain did not want to repeat performance of the Spain Russia game in the round of 16, right? Because mm-hmm. Spain had over a thousand passes over 80% possession, didn't do anything with it and lost in PKs. Right. Mm-hmm. And everyone was like, that's not going to happen. Luis Enrique is not going to let that happen. You know, Andy, it happened again. Yeah. Carbon copy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think your, your boy Ferran toenails, I think could be also, uh, put on the spot here. Cause I, he did have some chances. I, from what I saw against Morocco to put the game away and he, he yeah. fluffed his lines as you like to say. Oh yeah. I mean, he was not good all tournament, honestly. He had what one, maybe two goals in the opener against Costa Rica, but that was it. And I don't Andy, what doesn't make sense to me is how mm. you have Busquets as your third penalty taker. Busquets is not a scorer. How do you not have your forwards, your your Pedris, your attacking midfielders, the guys who actually shoot? How do you not mm. have those guys taking the PKs? You have a defender and I think two midfielders who took Spain's three penalties. It's it's very odd, and this was something that uh, Luis Enrique also got in the Euros wrong when Spain faced Italy uh, for penalties because uh, Italy in their uh, in their run to win the Euros in 2020, they I think won two penalty shootouts. One was in the semifinals against Spain, and one was in I think the finals uh, against England. So, and there are a lot of people saying with Luis Enrique and like how his lineup is. It doesn't seem like he's really planning or really putting a lot of thought into his penalty, like penalty lineup. So yeah. I think that's a a good critique of Luis Enrique. And when it comes down to penalties, it's kind of a kind of a disadvantage when Spain goes into penalties, maybe with Luis Enrique leading it, because it doesn't seem like there's a set like kind of mentality of like, okay, this all makes sense. These are the reasons why. It just kind of seems like, oh, you've been here the longest. You know, seniority rules. Yeah. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. And honestly, it's it's not a shock that Luis Enrique stepped down on his role. I think you can't go back-to-back round of 16 losses when you're dominating the game and don't create any chances. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, it's, mm-hmm. it's sad to see, but I think Spain has some positives going forward. I think if you take out Busquets and Jordi Alba as a whole, they have a very young, very talented team. So I mm-hmm. think moving forward, they're set up for success, but we'll, we'll have to see when, when 2026 rolls around. Um, yep. We'll have, we'll have to see. And yeah. So yeah, moving, moving on to how Morocco and Portugal played. Uh, Morocco almost seemed like to do the same, like a rinse and repeat kind of situation mm-hmm. where, with their game plan, where they were resolute in their defending. They didn't look as, they didn't look frantic, but they definitely looked like they were working harder together than even Croatia does. Not saying Croatia doesn't work hard, but it looked like Morocco was working very, very hard um, to stop Portugal. And, you know, it looked like from the Portugal or 
the Morocco goal, it kind of seemed like there was a miscommunication between the goalie and the defender uh, to let this ball kind of not get cleared correctly or no one taking charge to, to actually get to the ball because uh, it kind of fell in between the goalkeeper who was going up with his arms to punch it out and the uh, uh, Portuguese defender who was trying to head it out. And in between those two was the ball and, more importantly, the Moroccan uh, striker there. So that was all that uh, Morocco needed to to advance. So, yeah, to you, Paul, did Portugal look like they had they had the answers and were just missing opportunities? Or did you look think like Portugal is just having – like is not able to break this Morocco team down? Well, I, I liked your comment that you were saying about how Morocco looked like they were defending more together as a team than Croatia. I feel like Croatia and Morocco, like we've said before, have a very similar identity. I just think Morocco is younger to me. Mm. I think they have more energy. And I mm-hmm. and like you were saying, I think they defend a little bit better as a team. And I think it's mostly due to that that energy that they have, that youth that they have. Right? Yeah. So they were just hounding Portugal. Whenever mm-hmm. Portugal had the ball, they closed down space on Bruno Fernandes, Bernardo Silva. The one chance that Ronaldo had on goal, one-on-one with the keeper, it, it was an okay chance, but the goalie closed down the space so quickly and the defender was so hot on his heels that Ronaldo had to rush it a little bit, I thought. Mm-hmm. So, you know... It, Portugal didn't really create a lot of chances. It was kind of like what happened with Spain, right? Portugal mm-hmm. had a lot of possession. They had a lot of possession in like the midfield and kind of like, you know, mm-hmm. 25, 30 yards from goal. But yeah. they didn't do anything with it. You know, they, they, at the end, they just started throwing hopeful balls in the box. And Morocco's like, okay, we have tall center backs. We're just going to head these away. Mm-hmm. And that's, yeah, and that's well, what it was. And go ahead. It was well. It's interesting too because I don't think it was just at the end. I was seeing this in the first half where yeah. Bernardo Silva was dropping in deep, and Bernardo Silva is not a—he's not a deeper midfielder. He's an attacking player, so you want to see him closer uh, to goal. But he was dropping back. Bruno Fernandez also attacking. They were dropping back to get the ball more out wide, and it looked like to to my eyes, it just looked like they weren't on it. Like they weren't able to hit those yeah. long balls out either because they didn't have the center backs to do it or they themselves just weren't like either just being harassed too much by Morocco and that they weren't able to have the quality kind of go through. So a very frustrating yeah. game. If I was a, a Portuguese fan, I would be very, very frustrated from this game because it didn't look like there was a lot created in, in those instances. Like they couldn't get into the final third, let alone, yeah, get in front of the goal to to make a shot. So, yeah, and honestly, I think you know you go back to Pepe had probably the clearest cut chance, which was at the very very end of the game where he gets free has a free header. All he has to do is put it on frame right in front of him, and he hits it just off target. Mm-hmm. And you know mm-hmm. you could see the frustration on his face when he missed. But talking about him a little bit, he had some some big criticisms of the referee after the game. He was going on about how the referee was Argentinian and how FIFA shouldn't have someone who's refing a game with a, of a country that's still in the tournament. 
and all this stuff. And Andy, I'm kind of curious to hear your thoughts on that because to me, I don't think, I think the referee made some mistakes here and there, but I don't think he decided the outcome of the game. I think Portugal's play and how they decided to kind of handle Morocco's kind of sitting back and pressuring of the ball in the middle part of the pitch. Mm-hmm. I think that decided the game. What were your, yeah. your thoughts? I think on it's that? more, I think it's, I think it's frustrating because honestly, this is the first time I'm hearing it. Um, mm-hmm. so to me, it just seems like it's frustration because we're going to, we're going to get into this next of, you know, the Argentine Netherlands game. Players were saying how poor the refereeing was. The England France game, people are talking about how poor the refereeing game was and let alone yeah. this other quarterfinal game refereeing. You know, it's usually, I'd say it's kind of that frustrated excuse where when you're frustrated with you not doing the job you wanted to do, you're going to find any other reason why you weren't able to advance because uh, yeah. it's a lot easier to blame somebody blame somebody else than it is to look at yourself and say like I had a poor game. Um, so I think I think it's more along those lines than anything. Uh, but we are going to disagree on this when we go into the Argentina <laughs> Netherlands uh, debacle to, to get a little segue into that talking about yeah. um, how the or what the uh, refereeing was like in these games. <sighs> Yeah, let's start this. <laughs> well, it's, it's it's happening. I'm ripping off the band-aid. Let's just get yeah, in. Let's, let's just dive dive in head first into the deep end. Uh well, Andy, the the referee for the Argentina Netherlands game is a very prominent referee in La Liga. Antonio Machu Lajos Lajos okay. if you want to uh do the the Spain dialect of the Spanish. Well, you, you already did, so that's, that's good to know. <laughs> <laughs> well, he is very well known for for being a disciplinarian, for being someone who likes to show a lot of cards, who likes mm-hmm. to be in the spotlight, who likes to make the game about him, to have his stamp on the game. And I think he... Mm-hmm went in with the same mentality to this World Cup game, which to me is the exact opposite of what you want in a referee. In, a, uh, in yeah. my opinion, what you want in a referee in a, in a World Cup game, especially a knockout game, is you want to control the game, you want to prevent players from getting hurt, but you mm-hmm. want to let the players shine, right? Yeah. You know, you you cut down on players talking back, you cut down on dirty tackles, guys playing overly physical and letting the game shine, letting the player shine. Right. Mm, right. Like a good referee, you wouldn't know that they're there. Like that's yeah. how good they should be is like the game just played so well. There weren't like weird stoppages. It didn't seem like people were getting fouls that they shouldn't have been getting. Those are the, those are the referees you kind of want. So it's very odd when you get a more egotistical referee who wants to say i am now the best referee here's here's how this game is going to run it's going to be my game yeah and i i think you saw that just from the amount of yellow cards that he showed he showed 17 yellow cards andy Mm. 17 a good amount amount did come after i want to say after regulation when a lot of them happened and there was a when there was a scuffle uh one one or two andy i think it was two two came after the final whistle (laughs) 15 during regulation play one red card after the game was over, which it was a second yellow that became a red to one of the Dutch players for getting involved with the coaching staff, some of the subs from Argentina. But Andy, mm-hmm. he showed two yellow cards to 
guys on the bench. One to Angel Di Maria on Argentina's bench and one to Wout Weghorst from, from yes. the Netherlands bench. What a name. What a name. What a name. Um, but why? You don't need to do that. Just have a talk to with them. Tell them to sit down, shut up, and let the players mm. play. It's so <sighs> I have so I have yellow card. First yellow card I'm seeing is in the 43rd minute, 42nd minute, uh, happening near like the end of the first half. This is just after Argentina's goal. Uh, yeah. So I can see like getting it's getting it's getting a little chippy. I'm I'm understanding understanding that. Uh, then. There are a couple more in the 76th minute, both on Lissandro Martinez and Memphis Depay. As the game then goes on, near like the, honestly, where the biggest one seems to happen was near, when it was getting near the end of the game, where there was yeah. about four or five yellow cards that started coming out, uh, from there. So I, yeah, to, to your point that it's like early in the game, I don't know if it's that early, but to your point too, the fact that there's so many yellow cards, you know, you probably should have had a yellow card earlier in the game if yeah. it's going to get to yellow, more yellow cards in the game. Like, if you want to manage something, you don't wait for it to fester. You go, boom, first thing is like, nope, we're not having any of that. You give him a card yeah. and saying like this, I'm establishing the precedent for the game. So yeah. I think his thing would be like, he just left it really late and then just started giving heart like cards out like it was Christmas and he forgot to do his Christmas shopping at Hallmark. Seriously. Yeah. And any, that's the worst referee. No, I'm sorry. It, it, it's the worst refereed game that I've seen in a world cup. The worst mm. refereed game I've ever seen was the 2016 Copa America final between Chile and Argentina. I'm not going to get into that cause I would go on for like 30 mm. minutes, but yeah. It's the worst referee. Interesting, game interesting that Argentina was mentioned both times. There well, seems to be it, a pattern here from two. No, that was not. <laughs> it was the ref being horrible. He he sent off a player from Chile too too hastily, in my opinion. And okay. then I think he kind of second guessed his decision, and then decided to send mm. off an Argentina player like ten fifteen minutes later for something that was not even close, like way way worse decision than mm -hmm. sending off the, the guy from Chile. So no, I'm not going to, I can't, I'm not going to get into it. I'm not going to get into it, but All right. well, uh, well, I'll break, I'll break down the game for people that didn't see. So in the 35th minute, uh, Messi has found a way to have some space on him and expertly notices that, um, the, one of the wide men from, uh, the, Dutch Netherlands team wasn't in the right position and there was a bit of confusion. So what does Messi do is he drives in that area and lays off a ball uh, to Nahuel Molina, I think is his name. Uh, so correct me mm -hmm. if I'm mispronouncing right, right back. that. Yep. No, you're good. Yep. Yes. So gets the goal there uh, in the 73rd can, minute. Uh, can, I, Messi, can I interrupt you just for a quick second, Andy, on that, sure, you sure on can. that pass? You're the co-host. Yes. <laughs> Thank you. I hate interrupting you, but that pass was one of the greatest passes of Messi's career. Messi has two or three guys in front mm -hmm. of him. He is looking off defenders. You know how court, star quarterbacks mm -hmm. like like Brady, Ben Roethlisberger was big on this, like would look off safeties. Aaron mm -hmm. Rodgers actually, probably mm -hmm. the biggest proponent of it, who look off safeties, defensive back, 
to get their wide receivers open. That's mm-hmm. what Messi did on this pass. Messi, yeah. yeah, Messi looks off defenders. He he's not looking anywhere near where he's passing this ball and lays it perfectly into his feet. And for a right back to score a goal like that, unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Sorry, sidebar. Yeah. Keep going. It's, no, it was it was it was great. Um, honestly, like if you needed a reason why, like if you needed a reason to say what makes or try to look for a reason why Messi is the greatest player, just look at this goal because his close control with the ball means that no one from the Dutch Netherlands team can try to step out because they know they're going to like have, they're going to give up a foul. So they're backing off a little bit, but they also want to maintain the pressure. And there's a couple people are like two or three, I think defenders around Messi. So you're thinking pass isn't going to happen. It's going to be a very tight pass for him to yeah. find that space, but he makes the right pass because there was a miscommunication, I think between daily blend. And I think it was Nathan Ake where mm-hmm. there's supposed to be a little bit tighter but there's a little bit of communication and Messi just exploits that immediately. So the, the ability for him to make that really sumptuous pass perfectly weighted, not too hard that it gets past, uh, not well, not too soft. So then a defender can step out and clear it. Fantastic. Fantastic. It's yes. why we watch soccer. Just, Absolutely. just beautiful. So sorry, okay. I interrupted you. You were going on to the 73rd minute. Oh, so 73rd minute. Um, Messi converts a penalty. So I could say this is also probably where you're seeing it be a little bit chippy, uh, from Netherlands in a sense. Uh, Messi converts, converts his penalty. Then it starts getting interesting because 10 minutes later, Netherlands get a free kick. And at this time, uh, Louis Van Hall has made the decision tactically that he's not going to try to play the way he had been playing. He's going to yeah. go straight to plan B, which is the Netherlands are known for having very tall people. They're like one of the tallest people in Europe. And he's like, I'm just going to go to my bench, find these tall MFs, and I'm going to put them on, and we're going to start crossing balls in, hopefully to yes. cause some chaos. And yes. the thing is, it worked. Crosses in. Woot Weghorst gets his gets his ball, uh, gets a header, uh, and heads it. We're actually really deftly into into the corner. I'll let you take the next Weghorst goal, uh, Paul, because I think you have you have a lot to say on that. Um, even though you I just do. sighed, you have a lot to say. Uh, yeah. Well, so we get to the hundredth minute. First of all, ten minutes of stoppage time. I know FIFA has been a very big proponent of playing all the time, right? being very diligent about adding up the amount of time for stoppages, goal celebrations, injured players, substitutions, etc. right? 10 minutes there, kind of on the ridiculous side, it's a ton of time. Yeah, I I do think that's a ridiculous amount of time. That yeah. like you don't see that happening in regular games. So, it's I think it's unfair to then the team that is leading that you have to play essentially like another like quarter of a game at the yeah. end of the game. It's weird. Yes. Absolutely. Yeah. But Mr. Laholtz decides in the hundredth minute to whistle a foul on Argentina's Otamendi from like five yards outside the 18. So it's like 20, 25 yards away from the goal. My problem with that foul, Andy, is first of all, it's a hundredth minute. It's really soft. And the reason that the Netherlands guy is falling down is because he's jumping on the back of another Argentinian defender who's in front of him. So if anything, 
the guy from the Netherlands should have been whistled for the foul because he created the contact that caused him to fall down. But I'm not the ref. I'm just yelling from my couch. <laughs> so the Netherlands get their free kick. Beautifully worked. Honestly, can't fault the Netherlands for that. It was straight from the training ground. Instead of trying to shoot directly or try to chip it in over the top, they decided to play kind of like a short pass directly mm-hmm. next to the wall. And Wout Verghorst turns on Emiliano Fernandez and puts it in the net with the last kick of the game. And Bedlam, right? Mm-hmm. And Argentina's pissed, right? Yeah. Because they're like, this should not have gone – the game shouldn't have gone this long. That shouldn't have been a foul. So, yeah, yeah. I'm, ugh, I'm still I'm still worked up from it. I'm going like, to give it back to you. The foul, I will say, I think it can be said that it was it was soft. I think you can say that because um, my issue isn't necessarily with the referee. I think it's my issue is how the Argentinian players reacted to it. That's my that's my actual issue uh, because the I would say too that free kick that Woot Wakehurst ends up scoring is such a smart free kick. I think that's the best free kick of the tournament because yeah. of it completely caught everyone off guard and mm-hmm. except the Dutch team. I don't think anyone in the stadium knew. I certainly didn't know. And that's probably why I think it's so great is like, I didn't know this was going to happen. Um, yeah. cause I thought they were just going to kind of lunk it again into the box, but for that to, to pull that off at the end to have like kind of your ice in your veins to be like, Oh, we're going to pull this trick play and we'll score with it. Um, I, I thought that was magic. I thought that was just straight magic. Um, yeah, so definitely that to go into it, like definitely Netherlands, it's questionable whether they should have gotten it, but you can't argue with that. They took their chances then given how the game was playing out. So, yeah. and they had to convert that penalty, convert that penalty. Maybe Argentina should have been more prepared for that, uh, free kick. Maybe. Maybe. I mean, honestly, like, yeah, it was world-class. Absolutely. But Andy, should we get into your, uh, your anti-messy propaganda as I have it so eloquently stated here in our show? You know what? Yeah. Let's, 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 let's get into it. Let's get into this. Sure. Um, (laughs) since you've, you've aptly lamed it in our show notes, anti-messy propaganda, pro-messy truth. So I know you're being very objective here. Um, (laughs) super objective. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Um, so. In the – what I've seen from – so this is where I'm basing my thoughts on what happened in the game afterwards. What ends up happening in the game for everyone that's uh, keeping score uh, is that Argentina ends up advancing on penalties. Kind of interesting, I thought, that the – how the game went with Argentina scoring their first two goals in the first half and the Netherlands scoring – no, sorry – Argentina just scoring the first two goals and the Netherlands following with the last two goals is that the penalty shootout went the same way. Argentina made their first two penalties. The Netherlands made their last two penalties. So it came down to the end uh, for Lautaro Martinez, who did look very good when he came on in extra time. I think he yeah. hit the bar on a really scintillating hit or yeah. strike and puts it puts it away emphatically. Um, for his penalty kick. What happens afterwards, which I don't like, is that 
immediately I see there's a couple Argentinian players, and I think even Messi too, they start taunting um, the Netherlands players as they're running by them. That, to me, is just very unsportsmanlike, and I don't like seeing that. If I was coaching and I saw players do that, I would bench them for the next game. I would go running out there and make them like say make them say sorry, or I'd escort them out. I'd escort them out because that's that's just not sportsmanlike. You don't want to see you don't want to see that um, because if they're in the same boat, you don't want the Netherlands isn't I don't think going to do that or taunt the Argentinians uh, in that situation. So to me, that was that was a bit much, and the messy taunt of the coaching staff after the penalties as well, not only taunting the, um, the team, Netherlands team, but then going towards the, uh, Netherlands bench of the coaches and taunting them. That's also, I think that's, that's uncalled for. Uh, and the reason I say that Paul is because, when Messi was asked about what he did at the end of the game, he said that Louis Van Hall said that, you know, Levens had an advantage going into penalties and he should just keep his mouth shut. So obviously Messi didn't like that, what Louis Van Hall was saying, but he is, Louis Van Hall, I think is correct in that if Netherlands, which were the underdog, if they got into penalty kicks, they're in a better position to win than they were just during the game where, you know, it's an open game, whereas you're just going into penalty kicks and you're just like, hope it's basically like a 50-50 shot. So you're going from a game to a 50-50. Yes, it gives more of an advantage to the Netherlands to play in a penalty shootout against Argentina than is to play a full game. That's that's just how sports works. So that's my anti-messy propaganda. I think he just handled it very poorly. I think about the heat of the moment get too much of him, and I just didn't like how how that came out on the pitch. So that's my that's my rant. That's my anti-messy TED talk. All right, now it's time for the pro-messy truth. So this goes back to not only what Van Gaal said about penalties. Because he definitely said it wasn't like, you know, if we get to penalties, we're going to have an advantage. He said, if it goes to penalties, we have the advantage, right? But that's not, that's not a, I should say that's not only it. Van Gaal also said in interviews with, with different people, he said, one, I think Argentina are afraid of us and we will stop Messi. Okay. He also said Messi doesn't hustle. Messi doesn't run when we're playing. Messi doesn't help his team defensively. Basically, Van Gaal had a lot of comments on Messi before the game. He had a lot of comments on how Messi isn't as effective as he used to be. Kind of insinuating, he didn't say it outright, but he insinuating that he might not be as good as he used to be. And there were other... Other people from the Netherlands, whether it be former players, announcers, things like that, who said, this Messi can be stopped. Uh, another former player said, Messi isn't a leader. He doesn't have personality. Playing with Messi means 10 versus 11. The Netherlands goalkeeper before the game said, every shot by Messi will be stopped. So there was a lot of talk before the game. Mm. The Netherlands sure. was was John. 
that is the reason why Messi went to the coaching staff and said, you need to stop talking. I don't love it. I don't love that. I don't like it from Messi. I don't like it from any of the players that I like. Me personally, I would not do that. But if you're in his situation and you went through a very emotional game where the game should have probably finished 2-1, the referee had no control over that game. Mm. And things got out of hand for sure. I can I can understand why it happened. I don't agree with it. I don't think it should have happened. I think Messi should have been higher class than that. But that's that's something that you have to take into consideration. Another thing you have to take For into sure. consideration is the Dutch players during the game too were very chirpy, very chippy, and Argentina did not like that. During the penalty shootout, the Dutch players were grabbing the ball, like kind of keeping it away from the, the Argentina guys trying to come up and take the kicks. The goalkeeper was always grabbing the ball and kind of like hiding it chatting with whoever was going to be taking the PK. They, Andy, and it wasn't like a one-off or a two-off, right? You, you'll see that in penalty mm. kicks, right? You'll mm. see that where, you know, a guy will walk up and talk, the goalie will go up and talk to the guy taking the kick, right? This mm. was literally every time. And it yeah. wasn't just one or two guys. Like when Lautaro Martinez is walking up to take the deciding penalty kick, right? Huge pressure moments. There are three or four Dutch guys around him, like, talking to him and like trying to throw off his rhythm so much mm. so that one of the um one of the side judges one of the um flag referees I'm sorry the their title is one of the assistant referees thank you brain mm. way to work they he had to step in and take like literally shove three or four guys back so it wasn't mm. just that you know it wasn't just Louis van Gaal's comments it was it was through 120 plus minutes of the game mm. that all this took place. So again, For I sure. don't agree with it. I don't agree with um, the Argentinian defender. I don't remember who it was who after a tackle during uh, regular time, who then he gets the foul and then blasts the ball into the Netherlands bench. Very low class, very yeah. low class and unacceptable. Absolutely. Yeah. To to me, I think that's what put it, that's what put it over the edge, and I think yeah. that's where like, well, it's even this was even poor on the ref because there was at one point, you know, the defender, uh, Virgil Van Dyke for the Netherlands comes over and just shoves the guy to the ground, but yeah. he didn't get a card for that. He, uh, he Virgil did. Van Dyke didn't get a card. He oh, did. did he get it? Did he get he it? He did, after? but. The- no, he he got the yellow card. The problem was, and here's another thing that I have a problem with, Andy. The United States broadcast of that game was garbage. Oh, it was Fox garbage. Broadcast has always been garbage. The fact yeah. the fact that Fox is doing this and then has a advertisement right after it saying how great Qatar is. Yeah, yeah. really good journalism right there, falling yeah. right into Qatar's plan of what they want to do. Oh man, that's that that will set me off more. I think that's going to set me <laughs> off more is how much like if anyone says that Fox is doing a great job covering this, I call absolute horse blank. Absolute yeah. horse blank. But well, I'm sorry, continue. No, that's okay. What's frustrating is the the Fox broadcast, they did such a poor job that they were reporting on yellow cards 10 to 15 minutes after they happened. 
So as mm. you're watching the game, you don't think Virgil van Dyke gets a yellow card there. You don't think that Otamendi is getting a yellow card yep, for something that's, that he that's, did. That's exactly what I did just there. Yes. So thank, thank yeah. you, Paul. Yeah, no yeah. problem. Yeah, no, they they were literally showing it 10 to 15 minutes later, and it's like, what? Like, and if if an announcer says that the Dutch goalkeeper is six foot eight one more time, I'm going to go bananas. Like we get, like we get it. He's tall. Yeah, yeah. they said it seven or eight Ta- times during the broadcast. You're talking to Americans who like always see six foot eight athletes. Like, if it's yeah. basketball, if it's football, like, we get it, Fox. We get it. Like, yeah. you guys obviously don't get it, but we do get it. It's kind of like the yeah. person that's like, oh, yeah, like, I really know this, but I just keep talking about something. And you're like, are you just, like, reminding yourself to show, like, how smart you are? Like, yeah. get a get a grip. Yeah. Yeah. You so, know, you, that was, yeah, that was nuts. It was pandemonium. I agree with you. I don't like the taunting. I really don't. I don't mm. think it's justified. And like, but what I can say is, I understand why for they sure. did it. Oh, for sure, I understand how it gets there, and I understand yeah. like, you know, as a professional, like, you need to come back and like, all these players like come from backgrounds where it's like you gotta, you gotta defend your team for whatever the cost, and so you do, you do get chirpy, and sometimes yeah. people do that. I, I never like the chirpiness too much. Uh, really because like, as you can tell from like this podcast, my banter is really bad. So <laughs> I'm not a huge fan of it, but in general, I just think it's really unsportsmanlike. I, it just looks very bad. And like when you ha- have kids watching, seeing that is just really, is really poor. Um, yeah. so just saying like yeah. what was seen poor, but I understand everything that's happened behind the scenes with it. Yeah. And two more things on Messi. He should have gotten a yellow card in the first half for his handball. That was blatant. Should have been a yellow. I mean, like the Dutch mm-hmm. defender or midfielder, I'm sorry, just yeah. did that five minutes before and got a yellow card for it. And why Messi? Again, the referee doing a poor job of controlling the game. He doesn't give Messi a yellow card because he's Messi. It's terrible. Another yeah. Messi thing, after the game, he is he's being interviewed by Argentinian national TV, right? And Vout Verkhorst follows Argentina down the tunnel. He claims in the video, he is claiming that he just wants to shake Messi's hands, right? Say good game, whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't believe that for a second. I think he had a hidden agenda and wanted to say something about what Messi did after the game. But you see, oh, who's the defender for Manchester United? Martinez. Oh, Lissandro Martinez. Yeah. Yes. Yes, Lissandro Martinez. Oh, I, love, I he, love that man so much. Me too. Yeah, I do. I do. But he stops him. And of all people, Sergio Aguero, who's not dressed for the game, but he speaks English, right? Because he played in the Premier League for so many years, right? More than right, right. a lot of the people on the, the Argentinian national team. He stops him and he's like, no, you are not coming anywhere near him. You need to leave. Like mm. teammates standing up for teammates – while Messi is being interviewed in Spanish, he is yelling at Vout Verghorst, calling him an idiot and telling him to go away. Like, yeah, yeah, I, I saw, just I saw that because people were wondering who that was when I when I saw the video. They were wondering who. It's unclear who they're shouting that to. Um, well, also just to put I this think, into, I think it's him. Yeah, it has to be him. Also, just to put this into perspective, Lissandro Martinez is not tall. He's maybe no. like a little, like an inch. Or two taller than Messi. 
Um, yeah, I think he's I think like the Slender Man is is like five eight five nine. So our height. Yeah. Um, but he is standing up to Weghorst, who is not six eight, but maybe like six seven or six six. I think he's um, six six. Okay, so yeah, so almost like a foot taller than him, and. You know, Lissandra Martinez is just like, he's not going to get crap from anyone. His nickname in, when he was playing for Ajax was The Butcher. And you could tell, like, this guy, like, he comes out of a butcher shop with, like, blood on his arms. And you're like, yeah. You definitely, you definitely tore apart a carcass back and back there. Like, 100%. Yeah. So it's like, just that, that dichotomy, man, that is a fight I would love to see. I would definitely yeah, love I to would see too. that. I would too. Do you remember, did you ever see the movie Kicking and Screaming with Will Ferrell? Oh yes. Oh yes. Do you, Love that movie. <laughs> that, that, that's, do you know what scene I'm talking about? Oh, a hundred percent. hundred percent. Go, go the, on, tell it. The one where, uh, the two Italian players, oh, what's the quote? It's like business first and then football. I think meet, meet first, then football. Meet first, meet first, then football. Yep. So the entire kids soccer team goes to the butcher shop and help their teammates prepare the meat for their dad. Mm-hmm. And then they're mm-hmm. running late to the game and don't have time to change. So they show up, come out of the butcher's truck, just drenched in animal blood. Yep. Yep. <laughs> and the other team runs away screaming. Yeah. Oh man, it's so funny. The, my favorite part on, on that scene too is that as they're like driving onto the pitch and like, cause they're in the back of like a butcher shop car. So it's like a refrigerated car. Um, they just come speeding onto the pitch and like do like, uh, wheelies or whatever. And all the parents are freaking out except for Mike Ditka, who is the assistant coach <laughs> for Will Ferrell's team. And he's just sitting there with his arms crossed and his shades on being like, yep, I've seen this before. Like, I'm not phased <laughs> at all. That to me is just so fun, is so funny. It was so good. <laughs> For for but, any of our listeners who haven't seen that movie, you have homework this week. You have to go and watch that movie. It's it's pretty funny. Even if you're not a Will Ferrell fan, I think this is a quite a quite funny movie just in general. Yes. It's so fun, especially if you played um sports in like a youth <laughs> level. They do all the the gimmicks of of that movie. So yeah. you would want to see that just to just to relive that aspect. Absolutely, absolutely. So but, I think we can kind of put a bow on the the Netherlands yeah. Argentina thing now. Um, do you want? Yes. Should we move I on think, to your heartbreak? Yeah. Oh man. You know, like leading leading up to this, Paul. So this was the England France game. Um, England loses two one. Uh, first goal happens not from Mbappe, uh, but I believe it's through Chouameni, uh who yep. has this lightning strike from thirty yards out, which is really really far. Um, and has it bend away from, um, bend away from Pickford. It looked like Jude Bellingham was just about to block it, but Chuamini is able to find, to put it in between his legs and bend it around him. So wasn't like it was poor defending to let him out. And plus, you're not thinking someone's going to hit it on target from 30 yards out necessarily all especially, the time. Especially him, right? Like, right. <laughs> of all people right. to score. Right. You're not necessarily thinking him, he's going to do that. Um, so he scores. Come back the second half, uh, we're looking dynamite. Even the first half, Bakayu Saka's tearing it up on the right hand side. He's getting into the box. He's delivering crosses. Uh, the defense, French defense cannot handle him. Should have had a penalty, I think, in the first half. Uh, but yeah. 
they missed they missed that. So I think that's yep. where people were calling for poor refereeing. Uh, second one, they don't miss it. Harry Kane steps up, slots it away, one one. We get to the the seventieth minute. It's getting nervy, and we're we're initially putting pressure on France. We as in England, because uh, I am a fan of England, um, putting pressure on France. But then comes back for a corner. Uh, Antoine Griezmann from France curls a ball in. Uh, to the box. There is a switch, and Harry Maguire, of all people, doesn't realize there's a switch, so he switches off for just a second, enough for the meatiest of French foreheads, Olivier Giroud, <laughs> who we did put respect on his name, but apparently Harry Maguire didn't. Um, let's, let's him go, and he gets a, a fine header to make it 2-1. Um, in the, what made it the heartbreak worse was in the 84th minute, uh, there was a penalty given to England, and Harry Kane makes this. They're sending it into extra time. Um, Harry Kane doesn't even put it on target. He tries to go above the goalie, and in so doing, just skies it over the over the crossbar and game game set match uh, to France. So initially going into this game, Paul, I was not. From the Justice World Cup, I'm like, I'm not having too many expectations, but I'm hearing good things from England. I think England can win. Get to watch the game. Um, I'm feeling good, feeling like how we're setting up. Start a little slow, but most games you do start slow to stay controlled, uh, just to feel it out and then hopefully to catch on a counter. Uh, but once we got the first penalty, I thought England was, England was going to press on. They looked the better team. Midfield was excellent. Um, our attack looked like we were going to get a goal. I felt like there were goals in the game. Um, and we just, the two, the two mistakes that we made were absolutely punished. So just one of those, one of those games and just sad to, sad to see Harry Kane miss a, miss a penalty like that. Uh, cause there's no one else you would want to take that penalty. So I just put this really fine margins from people. Former players, what I've heard in the media is it's really just fine margins. Like England played well, but France just won on those fine margins that that mattered. So sadness, much sadness. Yeah, I agree. And honestly, even though I picked France to advance in our bracket, I was rooting for England. Like England's the better story. I like England more as a team. I can't stand Mbappe, dude. I'm sorry. He's he's extremely talented. He's the next great thing to be in soccer, but. Mm. Just, uh, just so well, e- egocentric to me, and all about me, and yeah. But anyway, well, that's that's was, not the point. He was barely in the game. You know, Kyle yeah. Walker shut him down. Tactically, England had it right. I think from their um their setup, from what I had heard and read leading up to it. You know, they yeah. had they had the plan to stop Mbappe, and that was the main goal: is stop Mbappe. Uh, but they then, did it like like any other great team. When someone shuts down, gets shut down, other players step up, and those other players stepped up. So, yeah, yeah this is a France team that kind of like their run in the World Cup in 20, or when they won the World Cup last, they don't have to play particularly well to win. They just have such good quality, and they shine through when it matters um, yeah. that they can they can blow teams blow teams away like that. So, yeah, yeah. kudos kudos to France. But, man, that, are we back? Are we man, back to that again? Sucked. Yeah, because if we give them kudos, maybe they they don't go through it. But actually, now at this point, I think they're it's them and Argentina. I think are our favorites to go on. 
So yeah, yeah just disappointing. But it's a younger-ish England team. I think a lot of these players will be back for the next, or for at least for Euros. So this team can still yeah. still win something, which which we're hopeful for. Can I can I give my two cents here, Andy? Absolutely. I France's defense made boneheaded mistakes, and France's defense has not been great throughout no. the tournament. They have given up goals. They have been porous. They're beatable. Mm-hmm. But and that that penalty that Mason Mount drew, Mason Mount, great job, great job to get into a dangerous area. You did not have mm-hmm. a chance at that ball, but. Oh, who was no. it? Hernandez or who? who yeah, was the name? Hernandez. Yeah, thank yeah. you. The defender just like not even looking at the ball, just yeah, decks him like perfect football. It was like like American yeah, football like, tackle. Yeah, it was just a, well, it's like pass interference. Like it was just a dumb play by Taylor Hernandez to just clatter into him. There's no reason to do that, and that's why it was the foul. Yeah, not so much like Mason Mount was going to get that ball. I don't think he was. He might have made a play on it. But yeah. you'd have to extend down and be super acrobatic. But yeah, smart Teo just being dumb. Yeah, and that's that's my thing is like I don't I don't know. France has to fix that if they want to go if they want to repeat for sure. The other mm-hmm. my other point with this game, I agree with you. England looked like the better team in the second half, and I think they were kind of robbed a little bit for sure because the, the Olivier Giroud goal was against the run of play, hundred percent. Mm-hmm. Harry Kane in that game is at a disadvantage with both of his penalties going up against Hugo Lloris, who Mm -hmm. is his teammate at Tottenham, right? How many times Mm -hmm. have they done PKs against each other? Probably hundreds, maybe thousands, right? They've been teammates for years. Mm -hmm. So immediately Harry Kane's at a disadvantage, right? That, that hurts the shooter because the goalie kind of knows where you like to go, what your tendencies are, right? Mm-hmm. Harry Kane does a great job on the first shot, right? When he goes up to take the second, I'm kind of thinking, should England have someone else take this? Because Harry Kane's already shot one, and he's going up against a guy who knows his penalty kicks better than probably anyone else in the world, right? Mm-hmm. Harry Kane, the reason that he missed that, he was going back to his same spot, Andy. The problem he... was, and you could, and you could see it if you if you look at the replay of that from behind him, right? Mm-hmm. He's trying to go back to that left side, but Hugo Lloris is expecting it. So he dives there. So as Harry Kane is kicking it, he sees Lloris going that way. So he tries to adjust where he's shooting it and kind of go more down the middle and higher so that Lloris won't save it, right? And that's why he blasted over the bar. So from his from one of the interviews, I think he had uh, Harry Kane an interview with ITV where they asked him what went through uh-huh. his penalty, if like he messed up or anything. They he said no. He said okay. What happened was that like he was placing it where he wanted to place it. He just didn't hit it the way he wanted to. And someone said like okay. he hit it too clean. So he okay. wanted to go that same side. So actually, Lori's guessed, but his right. thought was, I'm still just going to rifle it in the top. So that right. even though he's going to guess the right way, I'm just going to put so much power on it and it's going to rifle into the top. He's actually not going to touch it. But yeah. he didn't get that clean hit on it. So it wasn't like he was seeing Loris go that way and then trying to readjust. It was like, yeah. nope, he knew that because um, he said that, you know, he practices. He puts in his mind that, like, yeah, if I have to take a second penalty, um, I know what my plan is for that second okay. penalty. So forth. Okay. So he was – it was prepared. It was 
prepared, pre-planned. Okay. It was, he was prepared. It just didn't, it just didn't pan out. And maybe it is something with that, but I guess my question is, so if it's not Harry Keane, who else, who else steps up to, to take that penalty? I mean, do you put do you Marcus go- Rashford, who's maybe, he's, who just got in the game? Yeah, but he's your hottest scorer this tournament. He's looked, he's looked the best. Yeah, and granted, but he has been off the bench, but. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, cause I would say to that point is, you know, that happened with the Euros in 2020, where Rashford came off the bench later than at this time. And, but he only had about one touch before he had to take penalties. And same with this one. Rashford only had yeah. one touch. You know, that's kind of setting him up, it's, I think, a bit to fail. In that's, my that's fair. That's fair. No, it's, it's a good point. And honestly, like, we could go down the list, you know, we could say Raheem Sterling, we could say whoever, right? Like, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. you, hindsight's twenty twenty. In the moment, yeah, you probably want right. Harry Kane taking that penalty kick, but I, in my opinion, I just think when he's going up against, if he's going up against anyone other than Hugo Lloris, I think Harry Kane 100%, mm-hmm. even if he misses that penalty. But since yeah. he's going up against his teammate, I just, I, I think you gotta put yeah. someone else in there to put a, a, a little bit of doubt in Loris's mind. I think Loris had way too big of an advantage having already faced him with one PK earlier in the game. But yeah, and yeah, it, that is that is the wrinkle, definitely. Like that is definitely a wrinkle in it that you have to have to consider for sure. Yeah, but anyway, hindsight's twenty twenty. Harry Kane, bad luck. I, I I really like this England team. I thought they were the better team. I think they got robbed, but that's just the way soccer goes sometimes, you know. Yep, that's it's just how the the cookie crumbles. That's why we watch sports because if everything was going to happen, <laughs> we'd have a script. And yeah. soccer, like any other sport, greatest greatest play because no one knows what the script is. So, yep, exactly. All all good things. <sighs> all right, Whew, everyone, take a breath. That was a lot. Yes. There was a lot of emotion, and let's Lots. calmly, calmly look forward to the semis. Whew. All right, so we have the first matchup is uh, Croatia against your Argentina, Paul. Uh, what what are your predictions of how it's going to pan out, and what do you want to see from Argentina? Um, my prediction, uh, first gut, in, gut instinct is Argentina 2-1. I think they get it done in regular time. Croatia is a little older. Croatia has played the most minutes of any team so far since both of their knockout stage games have gone the full distance, gone to PKs. Mm-hmm. Croatia has been a very much a bend-don't-break sort of team. Argentina has already gone up against three teams that have played that style. Mexico, Poland, and Australia. Australia a little bit more attacking, a little bit more on the front foot than than the other those other two teams, but Croatia by mm-hmm. far the most talented of those four. Um, I just think... Croatia, in order for Croatia to have a chance in this game, Croatia has to score two goals. Croatia Mm -hmm. has not done that, except against Canada, who is by far the worst team in their group. So I don't know if they have the talent to score two. And Argentina has shown in these games, both their knockout stage games, they've needed two goals to advance, and they've done it. Mm-hmm. So I think Argentina scores two. I think Croatia finds a way to get one, and that's why Argentina wins 2-1 and goes forward. I just mm-hmm. don't think Croatia – Croatia. it's going to be a very tough game, but I think the all the minutes they've played and their lack of youth I think is going to hurt them at this stage in the tournament. 
Okay. Yeah, I can I can see that because I definitely agree that you know this is a team that hasn't generated a lot of offense, so you got to put pressure on them to generate offense, to create chances, to get up the pitch more, like yeah, almost daring them on. But that being said, you don't want them to just you wouldn't want to invite them onto you because uh, right. they don't want they're not going to want to play that way. Um, yeah. But I do see Argentina of all the teams in terms of breaking down a team. Argentina looks most reassured in breaking down a team that does sit in a lower block of yeah. of the teams that I've that I've seen. Uh, I think they're well versed in it. Um, would it be too much to say that it's like this is kind of Argentina has to make sure they don't make any mistakes, or do you think they have to do more than just that? I don't. I I, I don't like that because. If Argentina starts trying to play not to make mistakes, that, first of all, that's not their game style. Second of all, they're talented enough that if they make a mistake and give up a goal, they have the talent to score two or three. You know, mm-hmm. so to me, it's going to be Messi has stepped up in the last two games in the knockout stage, right? Both mm-hmm. against Australia and against the Netherlands. I think the focus is going to be on him, but what's been the difference this year as compared to 2018 is he has help. He has people stepping up around him who are putting goals in, unlikely heroes, right? Mm-hmm. So it's going to be – Croatia is going to have a lot of attention on him. Croatia is going to do what the Netherlands did and put Luka Modric in Messi's area almost at all times, right? Mm-hmm. So – because Luka Modric is very good as a defensive midfielder. He is very good at possessing the ball, getting the ball off of people, and then mm-hmm. pinging passes to guys making runs. So that's yep. going to be Croatia's game plan, in my opinion. Here's the thing, though, is that Messi has help around him. So he has Rodrigo DePaul. He has Di Maria, if he's fit enough for this game. Other guys mm-hmm. who are dangerous and can create chances. I just Croatia held on by the slimmest of margins against Brazil. And a very good Brazil attack, right? Mm. I just think Argentina, in my opinion, Argentina is the most complete team that Croatia have faced so far. Mm. Argentina has been very stout defensively. They have dominated teams in the midfield. And then, and Argentina kind of, one of the announcers said this during the, the last game, is they lull you to sleep, right? They're, they're not like Spain where they just pass the ball to pass the ball. Right. And I don't think that's mm-hmm. Spain's intention, but that's what they did against Morocco. So Argentina is, is passing and calculating, trying to find ways to move Messi around to get him into a dangerous position or to have someone like a right back or Acuna on the left to slip in behind and find a, a ball into the box. Right. Mm-hmm. So I just don't, I don't think Croatia has enough to get through another 90 minutes and, please don't let it go to extra time or, oh gosh, penalties. But like all that energy, it's a lot. And emotion. it's not just physically, it's emotionally, mentally too, right? Mm. They've gone to the brink in their last two games to do that. If, oh, please don't let it go to penalties. But if it does go to penalties, that is a lot to go through in three straight games. Oh yes. Oh yes. And I think even on penalties, we didn't really touch upon this. Croatia was able to just make their penalties and had Brazil Brazil made them enough mistakes for yeah. Croatia to then advance. So and Croatia was able to do all to make all their penalties, which was which was impressive. Uh but yeah, yeah so I think it's 
if you can cause this Croatia team to sweat, I think that's going to be a big key. Because like we've been saying, yeah. they're, they look experienced. They don't look super phased. But if you can make them like start having their head on a swivel and keep turning them around, I think then Argentina will definitely have the advantage. I think they're they're definitely the favorites to advance. I don't I don't necessarily see Croatia advancing too much. I think their luck's going to run out. Plus, I think yeah. Argentina's like you're saying. I think they're too complete of a team defense because they can defend very well. Um, and they can attack very well, and they can do- they can match up with Croatia's midfield. So that's a yeah. two versus a one maybe split. So I think yeah, yeah I think they're going on. Um, yeah. What are your thoughts then on France versus Morocco? Because no one's ex- no one expected Morocco to be in this position, and but people did expect France to be in this position. Morocco is like the Chicago Loyola of the world cup, right? They're the March madness. They're the team you didn't expect. And they're in the final four. One of the kind of connections between them and like Chicago Loyola is they're well coached. They have experience, but are also youthful and they play excellent team ball, just like Chicago Loyola, right? Mm -hmm. They have the energy they have the will, and they know who they are, right? They know that they're not going to outpossess, outpass, and break teams down like Argentina do, right? They are so going to not as naive so, as the U.S. when they're trying <laughs> to play against another team. Exactly, absolutely. They are just going to sit back. They're going to absorb pressure, bend, no break, bend, no break. And then when they get a set piece or when they get a chance to break, they're going to break. And to me, Hakimi has been the biggest X factor on their team. And a lot of people were like, well, yeah, he plays for PSG. So of course we saw this. You did not see this. You did not no see this. Morocco getting to the final four. You didn't see Hakimi absolutely shining as the best right back in the tournament. Like, mm-hmm. He is their X factor, and it's going to come down to if Morocco can withstand pressure. Here's the thing, though, Andy. Mm-hmm. Mbappe and Hakimi going up against each other on the left side for France, the right side for Morocco, is going to be awesome to watch. As a neutral yeah. observer, I'm so excited to see that, to see that matchup. Mm-hmm. I would not want anyone else in the world right now than Hakimi to guard Mbappe. He has the pace. He has the strength. He knows him, right? He's his teammate. Mm -hmm. So I think France is going to have to find other ways to win. And they showed it against England, right? Mm -hmm. But I don't think you can count on... Sorry, how do you pronounce his name again? Chupa Chupa Mene? Chuameni, yeah. Chuameni, thank you, sorry. Chuameni. You can't... I don't think you can count on a a Chuameni 30-yard strike in this game against Morocco. I think you're going to have to find ways to get Dembele to use his pace on the right side, uh, which is weaker. The Morocco's left side, obviously weaker since Hakimi is not on that side. You're going to have mm-hmm. to find Giroud and Griezmann to get into those dangerous areas because yeah, I don't which, think yeah, it's not going to be Mbappe because Hakimi is just going to be too strong on that side. Yeah. They're going to have to find other ways to beat Morocco. And honestly, Andy, they could do it. They could beat France because France has been vulnerable and they've given up goals. So yeah. if Morocco find a way to get a goal, I think they're 
going to do exactly what they did against Portugal, shut it down, but not laying off so much. They're going to pressure the ball around that, you know, 15, 20 yards away from the the top of the 18. And Mm. good luck to France to try to break down this defense because they're looking very stout. They they are, especially if they have a goal with them to defend. Like, oh my gosh, you would see more bodies fly. So I would say whoever scores the first goal in this wins this game, obviously. I think... In the in the next in the past game, Croatia versus Argentina. Even if Croatia scores the first goal, I can still see Argentina getting it, tying it, and going forward. I think yeah. for this one, if Morocco gets their first goal, they will defend it to the death. Whereas yes. France, if they get the first goal, then Morocco has to play more open, and then France can hit them on the counter with Mbappe, uh, with yep. Dembele, and yep. even add Couldn't more ag- more pace. But yeah, couldn't agree more. Absolutely, hundred percent agree. Cool. Yep. So this is really riveting, uh, really riveting the matchup. Uh, I want to give a couple of shout outs. One, uh, to, uh, two members in our, um, uh, pool for the World Cup. Uh, I'm doing it with, uh, my partner's, uh, friends and family, uh, to Amber and Kira. They had Croatia and Argent, one had Croatia and France, no, Croatia, Morocco, the other had Argentina, Croatia and Argentina, and one had, uh, Morocco, I think, and Croatia moving forward. So one of them is going to win, um, very, very good money. So good for <laughs> them. Um, well done. Well done. Thank you for not listening to the podcast. I think that was the big, the big <laughs> thing in your, uh, in your favor. So Amber Kira. <laughs> Want to give you a shout out there. One thing I do also want to mention too is I want to send condolences uh, to the family of Grant Wall. Um, he sadly passed away after uh, I think it was the Netherlands game on Friday. Uh, it said that he had a case of bronchitis during the week and then had passed out uh, after the uh, World Cup game against the Netherlands. He was a Big, big, uh, journalist, uh, for soccer in the United States following them. Uh, so we definitely, uh, want to send our condolences and what we remember him for what he's done, uh, for the sport in the country we live in for the sport that we love. Definitely. Um, Andy, gonna turn a, a sad story into a little bit of a positive super sub of the week. I don't want to say his name, so I'm going to throw it back to you. Woot, Woot, Weghorst. Uh, I have him as super sub. Came on in the half, or the second half against the Netherlands. Uh, had the help of his, um, referee, uh, to get his two goals. But, you know, the ability to do that, amazing. Uh, stuff of dreams right there. So, congratulations to him. And just, how can you not root for a, root for a striker named Woot? Cause you just have to chant his name, Woot, Woot. And yeah. it's right there. Uh, I'm not even going to touch it. Just go back like 30 minutes and listen to what I had to say. Oh, um, yes. <laughs> I, I One last point I wanted to make before we close this out, Andy. Um, thank you for sending me over that 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 money for winning the, the group stage bet. Um, I did donate it to one of the campaigns that is uh, – it's not Amnesty International because that's a, a European or a British organization. I found one based in the U.S., um, who's also doing the pay up FIFA um, for the the human rights violations for the the migrant workers in Qatar? So I did take that money, donate it over there, just to 
kind of, like I was saying last week, put my money where my mouth is, our mouths are. Mm. Um, just again, trying to raise awareness, even as this tournament comes to a close, you know, there were a lot of people that made this happen and a lot of them were treated unfairly, unjustly, and their families are being affected by it right now. So, um, if that's something that speaks to you guys, if you want to donate some money or sign a petition to tell FIFA to give some of that money back to these families that were so crucial to making this world cup happen. Um, we've linked it in the past. We'll link it again this week. So yes, absolutely. So thanks guys for joining another, uh, very long rendition of, um, the podcast, a longy, but a goodie. So, yes. uh, hope you guys enjoyed it. Really looking forward to next week. Uh, when we'll find out who, I think we would find out who the, uh, what the final is going to be. Yes. Uh, which will be exciting. So we'll have that last one for the World Cup. Uh, last podcast on the second to last podcast on the World Cup coming next week. So I have been Andy. Paul has been Paul. And with that, a big old bye, bye. to all you listeners out there.